I think and feel each Sunday morning that it is a privilege for us, for me, to be here together, to worship God together. And I am really always reminded of how grateful I am for you. Some of you I know well and have known for a long time. Others I know less well or for not as long. But all of you are important to me. And I really appreciate the chance to serve this church as one of its teaching elders and for being a part of the family of God with you. I appreciate our choirs and musicians, uh, the staff that we work with together, uh, the, the crazy uh, peace parade that we had today, and all of the mission that that represents. Just returned from an officer's retreat at Camp Montgomery, uh, we were led in a process of strategic planning for our church by Ed Pratt Daniels, soon to be Dr. Pratt Daniels. Fall goes well, and he'll hopefully graduate down in Gainesville on the same weekend that his daughter will graduate with her master's degree. Uh, and your session and some of the deacons and staff, we came together to do some important work on strategic goals for our church. I'm sure you'll hear more about them. In the coming weeks, we're, we're far from completed in that process, so there's not a lot to share just yet. Um, but uh, it was a good weekend. Uh, one of your staff members, we found out secrets about each other. One of your staff members that just joined the church rode a camel somewhere. Uh, I don't know why she rode a camel, but not every. she's the only person I know that has ridden a camel. But anyway... I'd like you to now turn to your neighbor, to someone on your immediate left or right, in front of you or behind you. You may know them, you may be in the same family, you may be a complete stranger, but I want you to turn to that one person, look each other in the eyes, and I want you to repeat after me, okay? So here we go. I want you to say, neighbor, oh neighbor. I'm glad you walked through the door of Riverside. All right, good. Thank you. That hope you hope you feel welcome now. I know you're asking, why did he make me do that? I did. Well, the the fact is, we're going to be talking today about neighborliness, about uh, how dangerous it can be to separate worship from our relationships with our neighbors. Or another way of looking at it is we're going to look at the relationship between the vertical and the horizontal dimensions of our lives. Today's text from the Gospel of Luke is about fences and gates, boundaries and openings. Jesus tells a story recorded in Luke in a section of teachings for those who were following him, for those who were not following him, for those who were just curious, who were unsure, who were uncommitted, maybe even opposed. You may recall that this portion of Luke is recounted as a travelogue. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem, there to face down his accusers. And in Luke's organization, this chapter 16 follows Jesus' Majestic teachings about finding a single lost sheep, a single coin, 
a lost younger son. And all those stories ended with the necessity to throw a feast to celebrate the reunification. Christians ought to be partiers, Jesus says. We ought to always be having a celebration. Shindigs, Mardi Gras of reconciliation, festivals of forgiveness. I think the implication is that to fail to celebrate every person's recovery and restoration back into the community of God is to fail to appreciate the mighty work of God in dealing with our sin, our lostness. It's to minimize the reversal of fortunes that takes place in the kingdom of God when God's love takes effect in human affairs. I'm glad you walked through the door of Riverside this morning. Here in chapter 16, Jesus continues to teach us about our relationships. May we hear what the Spirit is telling the church today. There was a man who was dressed in purple and fine linen who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus, who was covered with sores, who longed to satisfy his hunger with what fell from the man's table. Even the dogs would come and lick his sores. The poor man died and was carried away by the angels to be with Abraham. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was being tormented, he looked up and saw Abraham far away from, with Lazarus by his side. And he called out, Father Lazarus, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus, I mean, that Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in agony in these flames. But Abraham said, Child, remember that in your lifetime you received good things, and Lazarus, in like manner, evil things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. Besides all this, between you and us there is a great chasm which has been fixed, so that those who might want to pass from here to you cannot do so, and no one can pass from you to here either. So the rich man said, Then, Father, I beg of you to send Lazarus to my father's house, for I have five brothers, that he may warn them, so that they will not come into this place of torment. And Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. They should listen to them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. And Abraham said to him, If they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced, even if someone were to rise from the dead. This is the word of the Lord. This story occurred in our neighborhood roughly 15 to 20 years ago. Ironically, it occurred at the gate station over there on Stockton by I-10. I was leaving the store with my coffee and coming out to get in my car. I get in, I pull out, I'm going to leave the parking lot and 
and enter onto Stockton Street, and I'm waiting for the traffic, so I'm stopped there, and there's a woman on the sidewalk standing there, and she motions to me. I put my window down, and she asked me for a ride, and I said, well, where are you going? And she said, well, just over there, just over, and she pointed to what I thought she was pointing to was the uh, the Gateway Drug Rehabilitation Center on the other side of the expressway, so I thought, well, gee, that's not very far. She's kind of lazy, I think, but but I guess I'll give her a ride. It's really just a couple blocks out of my way. So I said, okay, come on. So she gets in the, in the car, and uh, almost immediately after she got in, she made it quite clear that her personal services were for sale and that any side street would do. <laughs> I was startled by this and immediately realized that I had made a mistake in judgment. (laughs) Now, what does a man of God do in this situation? (laughs) No seminary courses I had taken prepared me for this. I started to politely say no, but she offered a menu of options, and I said no, no. She got frustrated with me and just said, okay, just take me back to the gate station, which which I did. And I realized from that experience that sometimes it's a good thing to be very clear about your boundaries. Sometimes walls are helpful. Sometimes walls and fences are hurtful. I'm thinking of long ago, the Berlin Wall. I'm thinking of the separation wall in Israel and Palestine. I'm thinking of the walls that are between people, even in families. I remember one time when I was a senior in high school, it was the second day of the school year, and this teacher was, she was teaching family living. I took it because the teacher was cute and it was going to be an easy A. And so there I am, and it's the second day, and she wants all of us kids to start, you know, getting to know each other and and just sort of process our feelings, unlike any teacher I'd ever had. So, So she begins with this exercise where we're supposed to hold the hand of the person next to us. Really just sort of freaked me out. And... I looked over, and right, there was nobody on my left, and over on my right was a, a girl that I just found very, very, very unattractive, and I, I did not want to hold her hand, and, and, I, and so I got up out of my desk, and I started looking, moving to another row, and, and she said, Bill, what are you doing? Where are you going? And I said, well... There's nobody here. Well, there's somebody on the other side of you. Oh, okay. I was, I was caught, and I was so ashamed of myself. I really was. Wherever there is a wall or a fence, there is an attempt to define a boundary, to defend a line, to keep someone or something out. But in today's story, there is a gate in the wall or the fence. And this gate in the story signifies a relationship between what is inside and what is outside. 
The two are not disconnected. They are related. When we wall something in or fence something out, whether it be a memory or an emotion or a person or an entire class of persons, in spite of that boundary, there is often a connection. And often there will be a seepage through the boundary, like through the levees in New Orleans or the containing tanks at Fukushima. We are not truly rid of all that we have tried to build a barrier against. The rich man is described as wearing the finest clothing, the best clothing probably from the finest stores in New York or imported shoes from Europe or he eats whatever he wants. He has these great feasts. Uh, he's, he's having big parties. The, the language that describes him, uh, he's not holding back. He's expressing his wealth and his lifestyle. He may live in an arid land, but I'm sure he has a lush, well-watered garden, and, and, and uh, it's all inside this fenced compound. In his society, he's part of the 1%, or maybe the one-tenth of 1%. The income disparity in his time mirrors what is happening in ours. He's throwing these parties and guests are coming in and out through the gate to his feasts. There's probably live music and servants preparing all the food and then cleaning it all up and putting it into garbage sacks and hauling it out to the curb outside the fence where they meet the beggar at the gate. His name is Lazarus, a name which means one whom God helps. Surely a cruel joke, the people of the day would think. For God must surely disapprove of this man, this beggar. He survives on the scraps of the feasts. He's a dumpster diver. He's made a homeless camp in this affluent neighborhood. But Lazarus is just barely surviving. In fact, he's sick. And he doesn't have anything like an Affordable Care Act or Medicaid. And, in, and the farm bill of his day, while awarding subsidies to the rich man's friends and his agribusiness partners, has cut his food stamps. He's very unhealthy. And in fact, he dies. And the rich man dies as well. They share the same fate. And so the story Jesus tells us has three main characters. The rich man, who, by the way, is not criticized or judged for being wealthy. The poor man, who is named Lazarus. And the third main character which is the gate. The gate. The gate in the story is the connection between the two people. Crazy as it sounds, Jesus suggests that the gate is the grace of God for both of them. The gate signifies the possibility that the kingdom of God is at hand for them at every moment. If only they could see it. I have another story from our neighborhood. 
there was a house on my street on the next block up where a family lived uh, before we moved in. And uh, I didn't know this family well. I just knew them mostly by reputation. The man of the house was a bad dude. Uh, He was a pedophile. He was a drug dealer. He hired youth in the area to be his runners for his drug business. He was just a bad guy. He'd been in and out of prison. He was someone that I was afraid of and avoided and wished would leave. He lived in this house with his sister and his mother. And also in the house were other people, children, and I I couldn't figure out who was what in the house, but they were all in there together, and uh, it was just a a place that I drove by and wouldn't even want to look at when I passed. One day, a friend of mine who also lived on that block decided she was tired of avoiding, as I was avoiding, this family. And so she went into her kitchen and she baked cookies. And she put them on a pretty plate and covered them with foil. And while they were still warm, she walked down to that house and up the steps and on the porch and knocked on that door. And the door opened and the the grandmother opened the door, Josephine. She opened the door and and this this friend of mine uh, came inside and they sat down and and they started to talk. And my friend described a scene inside the house of, of just deep lostness and darkness. I mean, there was a baby in a crib there in the, in the front room drinking a, a Coke, just like a little baby with a Coke. And meanwhile, the, the, the man was sitting there a couple feet away with the TV blaring with Grand Theft Auto. And the whole environment just seemed so depressing. But my friend kept visiting occasionally and having conversations with Josephine. Now, I can't report that there were any measurable results that came from that. In fact, the family, that family moved away, and I was actually rather glad. So this isn't a story that ends with a a conversion or all the people joining the choir or anything like that. But somehow, my friend had walked through a gate and had connected with those with whom she had built a wall. She was sharing the bread of Christ before there ever was a program called that. I want to be clear. I don't think this parable that Jesus taught is about the afterlife. I think Jesus is wanting to instruct us about living well in this life. The parable draws its meaning from the surrounding teachings in Luke, which make it clear that Jesus wants us to live in this world wisely, responsibly, with compassion and justice in community. The moral of the story is not be charitable to the poor or you're going to go to hell. The issue Jesus sets before us is larger than putting stars in our individual crowns. 
the question Jesus and really the entire Bible always asks us is, what is your focus in life? Do we live for ourselves, for our comfort, our security, our achievements, our fulfillment? Or do we live for others? Do we even really see the others? We live life on this wondrous planet, a creation and a gift of a loving God. But its destruction could well be our own doing. And so what legacy do we leave for those who come after us? Dietrich Bonhoeffer argues that for Christians, the only real ethical question is how shall the next generation live? So as you move around this week, I want you to notice, just in our city and in our neighborhood, notice all the gates and doorways. There are lots of fences and walls, too. But I want you to notice the gates in the parking garages, condominiums, the private driveways, at businesses and schools, out here on our athletic field, at military bases and hospitals, fences, walls, gates. Jesus said, I am the gate. I am the gate. My sheep come into the flock through me. I am the gate. Think about what that means. They go out and they come in and they find pasture with me. Thank God we are a gated community.